From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Arctic Blast edition of Washington Watch. Hope you're staying warm wherever you are. Well, coming up, Vice President Kamala Harris was in South Carolina today to celebrate Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. At this moment in America, freedom is under profound threat. Today, in fact, we are witnessing a full-on attack on hard-fought, hard-won freedoms. That is correct, but unfortunately she was not talking about her failed job as border czar, as our southern border is being invaded, nor was she talking about the attacks of the Biden administration on parents who are simply protecting their children in our schools. She's actually talking about pro-life laws as being an attack on hard-won freedoms. Wow. We're going to discuss that later when I'm joined by uh, David Clawson, director of our Center for Biblical Worldview, as we discuss how Bible-believing Christians need to prepare for this election year. And the presidential race begins in earnest this evening with the Iowa caucuses. We're going to get an update from Des Moines, Iowa, as Chad Conley with Faith Wins joins us from there. Congress is scheduled to be back in town tomorrow. And two big questions, budget and border. It's a dangerous crisis at the border. The president might have to take executive actions, declaring a crisis, national crisis, a national crisis at the border, and do what needs to be done to shut that border down and secure it until we can get a handle or until legislature, the legislature can come to an agreement. That was West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin yesterday on Face the Nation. Will Congress reach an agreement on the border, along with the additional funding for Ukraine? Uh, also, will they approve a continuing resolution before government funding runs out on Friday? We're going to talk with Texas Congressman August Pfluger in just a moment. And momentum is building to override Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's veto of the state's SAFE Act, which would protect children from experimental drugs and surgeries. The same government that requires you to send your children to school prohibits you from giving them illicit drugs and can charge parents with neglect and abuse also has the obligation to prevent parents and physicians from chemically castrating and sterilizing their children. That was Ohio State Representative Gary Click on the House floor last week when the House overwhelmingly overrode the veto. The next stop is the State Senate, and we're going to be joined by the president of the Ohio State Senate, State Senator Matt Huffman, later here on Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Genesis chapter 35. So they gave Jacob all their foreign gods, which were in their hands and their earrings, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was in Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Uh, here is the best defense system. Honor God and let him put fear in the hearts of your enemies. You know what? That is what has protected America for many, many years. But our spiritual and moral compromise has caused that fear that was in the heart of our enemies to be replaced with contempt. This is why and where the church can protect this nation by turning our hearts solely toward God. And as Jacob did here, repenting and walking in a true relationship with God and challenging others to do the same. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. 
Last night, congressional leaders released their plan to avoid a potential government shutdown this week with, a f with funding stopgaps, also known as continuing resolutions, or CR, to use the Washington term. This would keep the federal agencies funded into March. This comes at a time when alleged details over a border agreement were leaked over the weekend, causing Senate Republicans to remind people not to believe everything they read on the Internet. So what do we know? What might happen this week here in Washington? Well, joining me now to discuss the latest is Congressman August Pfluger. He serves on the House Homeland Security Committee and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents the 11th Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Pfluger, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Tony, thanks for having me. Great to see you and Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year to you as well. Now, you serve on the House Homeland Security Committee, so you are following the border negotiations quite closely, I'm sure. What can you tell us? Well, not only are we following it, but we're also pushing and, you know, we have a new speaker. Uh, it, this is not a new situation. It's a tragic crisis now for over three years. And really, it's dire. I mean, over nine million people, we have 100 plus thousand killed by uh, fentanyl. The, the Just the surge and the problem, the terror watch list matches that have happened, the chaos that's happening in our communities. So, We've been pushing. I do believe the speaker when he says that he's going to make it a priority. But now is the time. Now is the time. We passed H.R. 2, one of the best border security bills in decades. And we expect that those provisions will be once again put on the president's desk. And we need leverage. Obviously, we don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. But now is time to use the power of the purse. That's exactly what we're pushing Speaker Mike Johnson to do. Well, over the weekend, some of the details leaked out about the negotiations in the Senate. And I've had some conversations with some of the senators involved, um, but they've been pretty tight-lipped on the details because there's a lot of pushback from Democrats. But here's just a couple of things that emerged over the weekend. Increased green cards by 50,000 a year, work permits for adult children of H-1B holders, immediate work permits to every illegal alien released from custody. Um, I mean, this looks like uh, almost a wish list from the left. It, it wouldn't even appear to be any type of reform if we were not in such a chaotic situation at the border. But the uh, House Speaker said, no way, not doing it. Well, and, and I think, you know, on our side of the equation, it really comes down to parole. It comes down to the ability uh, for Border Patrol agents and other uh, CBP officers to reject at the border those who are coming into our country illegally. And so when you look at security and immigration, yes, they're related, but they really are two separate things. Of course, the Democrats want some of those things, you know, and maybe in a, in a, at a different time, in a different world, some of those things aren't bad. Um, I know Senator James Langford has been working extremely hard um, and kudos to him working in a very difficult situation. Um, you know, for Speaker Mike Johnson, we need to give and put our best foot forward. That is HR2. And then let's see where that leverage goes so that we can get something on security, first and foremost, on security. That is the line that we are going to continue to really try to hold in the House. Is that your sense? Because what I'm, what I'm hearing from what the speaker is saying is that H.R. 2 is the starting. I mean, that's don't even talk to us unless that's what you're coming back to us with. Well, it really is. And again, you know, the, the provisions that you listed there really are immigration Provisions. What we did in HR two is all about security, so they're different. Right. They are related, but uh, the speaker is right when he says HR two is our answer. We've come up with this. We passed it as a house. It's something that 
for two decades, um, the U.S. House has not been able to do. So that really is where we start. And that, I think, you know, it, it still comes down to the political will. The Biden administration, Vice President Kamala Harris, they've done absolutely nothing to enforce the laws on the books. So even if we pass new laws, we have to have a clear minded understanding of what they are going to do, a realistic view. Will they actually enforce new laws? And I think most of us know that that's going to be very difficult to compel them to do. Well, and there's a ripple effect. I was just the, the Associated Press just out with an article about the three million people in the immigration court system waiting for their court date. I mean, there's no way you're going to get to all that. I mean, it's about to implode the system. And then, of course, over the weekend here in D.C. again, another protest at the White House uh, for from uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrators that nearly pushed in the, 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 the fences and the gates around the White House. I mean, is this not all connected? Well, it certainly is. You know, look at October 7th, what happened in Israel. You know, myself serving in the, the military for over two decades, having fought in the Middle East, seeing the, the chaos that is ensuing. And if we don't think an attack like what happened in Israel on October 7th can happen right here on our soil, I, I think that we're asleep at the wheel. People like me and others have really been beating the drum on this to say not only is it time to support Israel, not only do they have the right to defend themselves, but this can happen here in our porous and open southern border, despite what Secretary Mayorkas has said that it is closed. It's not. Military age males, the majority of whom make up the nine million people who have illegally entered this country, are coming in and we don't know what their intentions are and we don't know where they are and they have a notice to appear and 90 percent of them don't show up for their court date. Yeah, that's a problem. It, it I would describe it as insanity to to have a border that wide open, knowing how dangerous the world is today and even seeing I mean, we had our own 9-11, but then we're seeing what's happening. 2020, we saw the rioting in our country. Now, I know that was domestic, but now we're seeing these pro-Hamas forces, uh, these pro-Palestinian in communities all across this country. It, it is it's a ticking time bomb and it's time to, to wake up to the realities here. Along those lines, Congressman Pfluger, I want to ask you this question, because the end of this week, government funding runs out. Uh, what's ahead this week? Will there be an agreement? Well, we have a staggered approach, and you're right, that at the end of this week, on the 19th, the first tranche, the first wave of the laddered approach of government funding will run out. The proposal, as I am hearing and seeing, seems to be a March 1st and March 8th extension we, we have in the House passed 80 to 85 percent of the appropriations bills, and the Senate has refused under Chuck Schumer to take up those bills uh, and, and craft and do the negotiations on what we can actually come together on. So we will continue, I think, to buy some time, although I think most of us are really looking for that regular order to come back. Let's yeah. get a budget on time. Let's get appropriations bills passed on time. Let's cut the spending, which Mike Johnson, Johnson is doing, uh, and I applaud him for that. So we're in a, uh, a pickle. And by the way, I don't have to remind the American public, but we only have a two to three seat majority. This is right. historic. Right. It's slim, and we need to get back to work. I mean, $34 trillion in debt. Um, you, you make a good point here when you talk about getting back to regular order, something you hadn't had in, in probably two decades. 
How do you find 85 percent, you, 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 somewhere around there, of the appropriations work has been done by the House, but the Senate hasn't. How do you force Chuck Schumer to do the hard work of the appropriations as opposed to using this government shutdown leverage to force uh, the House to go along with a continuing resolution or omnibus? Well, it's very difficult. He has the backing of the White House. Um, them doing nothing, especially in 2024 in an election year, is basically the best answer that they can come up with. So it is very difficult and get the leverage to force them to move. And it really comes down you know, to the House, the Republicans with a very slim majority being able to agree on certain things, which are hard. They're tough. Yeah. We need to have those conversations, but we need to continue to send our solutions and our ideas of how to govern to the Senate and really put them on the spot. And once we, I think, get into that pattern, I think that there will be a necessity for them to answer, but otherwise they're not going to have to, and we need to put them on the spot, and it needs to happen now. Uh, agree. Time is running out. Congressman Fluger, our time is also running out here on, uh, on our segment. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, great to see you, and uh, keep up the good work. Tony, thanks for having me, and God bless. All right. Uh, folks, just a reminder why we need to be praying. There's so much to pray about. Um, I know these issues, we hear about them and talk about them so often, we almost become tone deaf to the reality of the dangers. I mean, the, the border, the budget, um, the continuing debt that we have in our nation. We need to be praying for the unity for the Republicans so that they can find a way forward to solve some of these problems. And we need to stand firm on truth. All right, coming up next, the Iowa caucuses take place this evening. And it's going to be really cold there. Chad Conley joins me from Des Moines after the break. Don't go away. For 40 years, Family Research Council has been in Washington, D.C., championing faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture from a biblical worldview. But it isn't easy. As the culture continues to become increasingly divided, believers must continue defending biblical truth while many on the left wish to silence and marginalize Christians. Will you join us? Your financial support has never been more important. Thanks to your partnership, we can continue to reach more Americans with the important news from Washington, D.C. Equip believers to stand firm in our culture and defend biblical truth in the halls of government. Every donation we receive will go towards preserving and advancing policies for a culture that honors faith, family, and freedom. To give, text the word GIVE to 67742. Again, text GIVE to 67742. Don't miss Family Research Council's new podcast, Outstanding. Brought to you by FRC's team at The Washington Stand, this podcast is designed to examine top news stories and cultural issues from a distinctly biblical worldview with an aim to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Join host and senior fellow for biblical worldview, Joseph Backholm, as he examines recent developments and cultural phenomena through the lens of scripture and explores how Christians should respond. New guests join the podcast every week to unpack the headlines and discuss what's going on in the world. Topics range from recent political developments to social issues and spiritual battles. We invite you to follow along with these critical conversations as we release new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. You don't want to miss it. 
To listen, go to WashingtonStand.com slash podcast slash outstanding and be sure to look for the Outstanding Podcast on your favorite podcasting app today. Join Family Research Council's Association of Churches and Ministries, a community of pastors and ministry leaders united in refusing to hide their faith in Jesus from those that would try to silence us. As we face an increasingly hostile culture, the Association of Churches and Ministries provides invaluable resources and a powerful platform to grow and be equipped for the ministry God has entrusted to you. Together, we will stand firm, united in faith. Visit acm.frc.org and become a member today. If you're a young adult passionate about seeing biblical values championed in our country, check out Family Research Council's internship program. This three-month program is both a discipleship and development opportunity where you get to take part in truly meaningful work and help advance faith, family, and freedom in public policy and our culture. Featuring hands-on experience, biblical worldview training, free housing, and more, this internship is a great opportunity for spiritual and professional development. Check out frc.org internships to apply today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. All right, later this evening, Republicans in Iowa will gather throughout the state to participate in the Iowa Presidential Caucuses, the first in the nation uh, primary that kicks off the 2024 presidential election season. Now, freezing temperatures could be the story for the evening as uh, areas across the state Expect to experience below zero temperatures with wind chills as low as negative uh, 45 degrees. What else should we be looking for from tonight's caucuses besides freezing people? Well, joining me now from Des Moines to uh, discuss is Chad Conley, founder of Faith Winds. Chad, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, how you doing, sir? Yeah, cold is the word, brother. Cold, brutal cold is the word. So, so how come you're not out on the street doing this as a live stand-up in front of one of the caucus locations? Well, I've actually been out today already. Uh, my wife and I flew here from Arizona Friday. It hasn't been above zero. In fact, we got up and spoke at a church yesterday. The air temperature was minus 19. The wind chill was minus 41. From a South Carolina boy, we don't live with that. So it is absolutely going to play tonight, Tony. Uh, I would think that anyone who's concerned about uh, their steps, uh, walking, any, anybody who's infirm at all, I, I can't see a lot of those people coming out. The, the snow is packed. The roads, the main roads are fine. The side roads are real, real slippery. In fact, the intersections are pretty slippery. So anybody who's a little bit uncertain about their step or their driving, I think they're going to be reluctant to come out. And I think that will be the story. So um, explain for our viewers and our listeners how the caucuses work there in Iowa. Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. I, this is my second time being here. I came as chairman for the South Carolina Party when, in 2012, and uh, my wife and I are going to go to one of the caucus sites tonight, actually hosted by one of our pastor buddies here. But you basically, basically get in a room with your neighbors. Uh, you would think of it maybe from a lot of way that a lot of people vote as a precinct, but it's a little bit different because it's your neighbor standing up to caucus for or advocate for uh, the candidate of their choice. So if they want to support Vivek Ramaswamy or Donald Trump or Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or whatever, Asa Hutchinson, they're going to stand up and explain to you, and they've got a time limit. I think it's three minutes where they get to advocate for the, the candidate of their choice. And then people vote. They gather into segments in a room and they vote 
and they caucus for that person, and the top three vote getters uh, are reported, and they move on from that point. It's really kind of a, an interesting deal. It's different for most people. Uh, we have found we've been getting churches involved for the last year, and most of the churches we've dealt with, Tony, have never done this before. So this past five or six days, we've held five, uh, six church caucus trainings, not to promote any one candidate, but to just get Christians to be out and be involved in the process. Yeah, I was uh, up in Iowa back in 2016 when I uh, was actually uh, campaigning for uh, Ted Cruz. Um, so I went to a, a few of the, the the places up there. It's it's a very it's I mean fundamental grassroots. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's really kind of testing. It, it puts the campaigns through the real test of voter turnout. A lot of effort is spent there by the campaigns on Iowa for this one event. You're so right. And you know what I love about it? And, of course, I've been an advocate for the early states. And I know you have, too, the carve-out states, because Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina are, are very different. Let's face it, an uphill or an underdog candidate wouldn't stand a chance in a high-dollar state, a California, an Illinois, a Massachusetts, New York. But in a rural state, they've got to get out and prove their mettle. they got to go shake hands. They meet people at the barbecue hut at the breakfast place. We were at the machine shed. I know you're familiar with the machine shed where people had events today uh, over in West Des Moines. So it makes them, you know, refine their message. They're, they got to get good at retail politics and they got to sell their message to the people. And I got to tell you, the folks in these early states have a high regard and a high expectation. Boy, I'm going to meet that candidate, Tony Perkins. And here's what I love about it, Tony. Now don't start any rumors now, okay? <laughs> That's right. Biblical values are premier here in especially South Carolina. And one reason I've been pushing pastors to get involved, and, and much to the chagrin of the consultants, I might add, we're going to make sure the candidates deal with issues that you and I and your listeners on Watching and Watch mm -hmm. care about, know that are foundational. And Tony, you and I have talked about this. It's why I've not told pastors you can't endorse, but I've said, hey, look, look here, if you pick the wrong one, how do you have influence? My goal is to have influence and input with whoever wins at any level. But if you do pick somebody and they don't win, how do you have influence? Also, right. make sure you want to stand up and support somebody. As a Christian, I can support ideas and issues all day long, personalities, people, parties. That's a little more difficult. So in the caucus process, the, the way they have the ability to, and this is, this is actually Frankly, it's it, it, it the, the principles apply to town hall meetings and other things as well. When you have those intimate gatherings and you can ask questions, you put the the candidates on the record on those issues. You put the elected officials on the record. Amen. Uh, I think our teams have now done 81 or 82 meetings with nine different presidential candidates in the early four states. And that's exactly been our goal here. And you know what else I, I love about the caucus uh, part of this, Tony, is they actually talk about platform and party planks that I know you've been heavily involved. You've invested your life and your career into making sure we've got a solid conservative platform every time out. And so people in the neighborhoods get to discuss the issues that are included in the planks and the party platforms here in Iowa, because I, I just think that's so important that people feel like they're a part of the mix.
Yeah, and, and Iowa has long had that shaping influence. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about how the candidates are responding to that grassroots conservative voice. Because it's while it culminates tonight, this is the zenith, the caucuses, they've been crisscrossing this state now for, for, for months, uh, trying to build up their networks and gain support in the state. You know, it's been fun to watch. Um, we've invited every candidate, Republican and Democrat. Uh, frankly, some have not accepted our invitations. I've had pastors in multiple states inviting them, but most of them respond really well. I, I got to tell you, and, and you and I will talk about this later too, the consultants aren't as happy that they respond well, but for the most yeah. part, candidates embrace these events. Yeah. They love prayed over. They don't mind getting asked difficult questions. They love the interaction. And I just tell them we're going to have a private meeting. It's not secret, but there's no media. Right. We're going to handpick. We're going to ask you hard questions. It's, I love to watch them respond. It's the authenticity. I mean, that's yes. what people want, the real nature of it. Hey, uh, Chad, we're up against a break. Can you, can you stick around for uh, another yes. segment? Because right, I, I want to get a sense of where the various campaigns are in, in this mix. All right, Chad Conley is with me from Des Moines for the big caucuses tonight. Stick around. We're going to come back with more after this. Most of us have wrestled with deep questions about the meaning of life at one time or another. Questions like, why are we here? What has gone wrong with our world? Is there any hope? And how does it all end? Thankfully, David Clausen, director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council, has carefully answered each of these tough questions in his latest publication titled An Introduction to Worldview. With 81% of evangelical church attendees claiming to hold a biblical worldview and only 21% actually holding a biblical worldview, resources like this are more important than ever. With this new resource, we invite you, your family, and your church to evaluate what makes up a worldview to see how a biblical worldview provides the most satisfying answers to life's biggest questions. To read the full publication and to see other resources from FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview, visit frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. Don't miss Family Research Council's new podcast, Outstanding. Brought to you by FRC's team at The Washington Stand, this podcast is designed to examine top news stories and cultural issues from a distinctly biblical worldview with an aim to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Join host and senior fellow for biblical worldview, Joseph Backholm, as he examines recent developments and cultural phenomena through the lens of scripture and explores how Christians should respond. New guests join the podcast every week to unpack the headlines and discuss what's going on in the world. Topics range from recent political developments to social issues and spiritual battles. We invite you to follow along with these critical conversations as we release new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. You don't want to miss it. To listen, go to WashingtonStand.com slash podcast slash outstanding and be sure to look for the Outstanding Podcast on your favorite podcasting app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Monday. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right. Um, we were going to cover the Ohio House and their, uh, the, actually the Senate, and their effort to override the governor's veto of the SAFE Act. But uh, 
we just had a conflict with the uh, Senate president there, so we're going to get him later in the week. I want to continue my conversation with Chad Conley, uh, who is on the ground in Des Moines, Iowa, ahead of tonight's Republican caucuses there, presidential caucuses. Uh, Chad, thanks so much for uh, sticking around. Yes, sir. Honored to. You know it. So let's talk a little bit about um, how the campaigns have been messaging and, and the momentum going into uh, tonight's caucuses. What, what do you say? Yeah. You know, there's no question. The biggest difference I see, Tony, is President Trump did not take the caucus for granted. Um, I know earlier in the year, there were a lot of assumptions made by his campaign, it looked like to me. We did do a pastor meeting with the president, but he has matched, and maybe even some people's opinion has exceeded DeSantis's ground game. The DeSantis team put together an amazing ground game here. I think he's done what's called the full Grassley twice. That's going to all 99 counties twice. I know Vivek Ramaswamy did that, and I'm pretty sure the DeSantis campaign did. Uh, Ramaswamy's been everywhere. He has been all over the place. Uh, I spoke to his campaign a couple of days ago, and he was doing eight to 10 events a day. The DeSantis campaign has a very good ground game all over the state, and, and Trump came in in the last two and a half to three months and put together a ground game of, uh, of caucus captains and representatives and surrogates. And so this is going to be interesting. Uh, we didn't see much Nikki Haley ground game out here. Now, she has gotten momentum. There's no question that the uh, AFP group, the Super PAC, spent tens of millions of dollars on Nikki Haley's behalf out here. They have a ground game, um, but I have not seen that Nikki had a campaign team here very much. And of course, she was my governor when I was chairman, so she and I go way back. Th this is going to be interesting. I would have predict predicted, hey, Trump's going to win. Uh, just there's a lot of momentum. His, as you know, fiercely loyal people, mm -hmm. uh, DeSantis's people and Ramaswamy's people look to be a younger crowd. You know, you got to think when it's minus 10 outside with a minus 30 wind chill by 7 p.m. tonight, uh, that, that's going to play. Uh, if there's an older crowd or an infirm crowd that's trying to get out to the caucuses, I don't think that can be ignored. So I do think this is probably a, a Trump and I think he may get close to 45 to 50 if I had to predict it. So, so the real the real battle is who's going to be second. I think so. I think so. And it, I, if I had to guess, just and this is within our churches, within pastors and Christians I've talked to, I think DeSantis has won over an awful lot of them. Well, I, I mean, what other options are there? I mean, you, you, when you look at Nikki Haley's basically refused to talk about those issues. And and uh, Vivek is, I mean, a great guy, and I think he's got a lot of energy, but not not a lot of substance on those issues that the, the, the Bible-believing, faith-committed voters, what we would call the sage cons, um, not a lot there for them. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, Vivek has not been hesitant to meet with pastors. He's embraced taking the questions. But you're right, uh, without a biblical worldview, he's not as familiar with a lot of the terminology and the things and the basis of the thinking. Uh, Governor DeSantis has jumped in wholeheartedly, full feet first. And President Trump, I was at his part of his meeting. He didn't hesitate to answer. I think that most people see it, though, and Tony, you probably agree with this. President Trump's already running a general election campaign. Yeah. He's not really 
talking to the primary voters to stay on those issues. You know what's interesting that I think your people need to hear? Um, I went to church yesterday, spoke at a church in Des Moines. There were three media people there. The media paints us as a broad brush, monolithic. They always want to put us into the life and traditional marriage box. And I told them that uh, Christians aren't a monolith. We care about rising prices and inflation in the southern border, in the Middle East, turmoil, all things that we think there's a real loss of leadership in the in the White House and administration on. And they keep going back to hammering, trying to put Christians into a box of the issues they think they understand. And you and I know most of the media can't identify our church in pictures. And they really don't have a biblical worldview. But I know I gave the gospel to my best ability, and so did the the pastor yesterday when I wrapped up. So they heard it, but they 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 sent me an article from one of them just recently, and it wasn't very favorable. Yeah, by the, you know, it, it's, it's funny you say they they couldn't identify a church. You know how you get those? Uh, I'm not a robot. You know, s- select the three squares that have a church in it. They wouldn't be able to uh, to, to to do that. Uh, the you're you're absolutely right. There's there is a hierarchy uh, when it comes to worldview, biblical worldview voters. I mean, obviously, life is at the top. You know, you know various issues. There's a ranking, but we care about all these issues because we live in the same country as everybody else, and we, you know, our paychecks being hit by Bidenomics just like everybody else. We're having to fill up our car, so those issues matter. They really matter. And, you know, I talk to pastors and churches, all of my my view now, and especially out here in Iowa, I've been talking to all these people in churches for these past few months. And so my, my thinking about it, what, what we see the media, what we see the candidates, I've been actually asking hundreds of caucus goers, what do you think about this? So when I give you that media take or even the take on the the caucus itself, these are feedback ideas and inputs from people who are sitting in churches who are telling me what they're hearing and what they're thinking. But that's what I love about the caucus and the early states in particular. They got to go campaign. They got to communicate what they believe in. And I, I think it's going to be a close one tonight, but I do think the weather is going to play the biggest role yeah. that actually comes out. It's a surprise. Well, stay warm and uh, be careful when you walk down the sidewalk. You know I will, brother. God bless you. Thanks for all you do, Tony. All right, Chad. Great to see you. Chad Conley, Faith Wins, up in Des Moines, Iowa, for tonight's caucuses. All right, don't go away. We're coming back with more Washington Watch from the warmth of the studio here in D.C. Next, don't go away. Are you a pastor or ministry leader? Then join Family Research Council's Association of Churches and Ministries. This community is for pastors and ministry leaders who are united in refusing to hide their faith in Jesus from those that would try to silence us. Together, we choose to stand on God's word, no matter the cost. As we face an increasingly hostile culture, the Association of Churches and Ministries provides a powerful platform to come together, grow, and be equipped for the ministry God has entrusted to you. By joining this collective, you gain exclusive access to invaluable resources, updates from Washington, D.C. to your leadership and ministry team, special discounts on FRC events, and much more. Together, we will stand firm, united in faith, unyielding in truth. Don't miss your chance to be a part of something greater. Visit acm.frc.org and become a member today. Are you passionate about living out your faith in the public square? Are you invested in rebuilding America's spiritual foundations? We are too. 
Here at Family Research Council, we have made it our mission to champion the kingdom of God by advancing faith, family, and freedom in our nation and culture. Would you consider joining us? Each day, we work to educate spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives, proclaim truth on cancel-resistant platforms, promote a biblical worldview in public policy and culture, and engage believers to get involved. Together, we can work towards a prevailing culture in which all human life is valued, families flourish, and religious liberty thrives. To get involved, you can donate to FRC by texting the word GIVE to 67742. Again, text GIVE to 67742. Are you tired of the mainstream media censoring Christian and conservative voices? Are you looking for news about the most important topics of the day presented to you through the lens of biblical truth? FRC has the answer. The Washington Stand. The Washington Stand is Family Research Council's outlet for news and commentary from a biblical worldview, covering issues from abortion, sexuality, and religious liberty, to education, to what's happening on Capitol Hill and around the world. The Washington Stand reports on the top stories affecting faith, family, and freedom that the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. Subscribe today to receive the latest news from the Washington Stand in your inbox every weekday morning by texting TWS to 67742 or by visiting WashingtonStand.com. Again, that's TWS to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. And if you, by the way, if you are in Iowa, make sure you go out and participate in the caucuses tonight. Uh, you have a um, an oversized role, if you will. It's like a supersized uh, Happy Meal. You know, you can, you can uh, make a greater impact because of the role that Iowa has. And so be... be uh, be good stewards of that opportunity. Uh, by the way, I had a wonderful time outside of Memphis Friday evening in uh, South Haven with my friend Bishop Vincent Matthews at Tabernacle Church of God in Christ and their leadership conference. So I know several uh, Washington Watch listeners there, and Bishop uh, Matthews is one of those who preaches the Word. And that's so fundamental uh, that we have churches. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, churches that preach the Word, um, or, or that don't preach the word, but in fact, it happens. And that's one of the reasons that we launched our journey through the Bible, our stand on the word, so that believers are in the word, systematically reading the word of God, so that you know how to apply the word to these confusing times in which we're living. If we ever needed the clarity of the Bible and what it provides, it's now. I mean, I think it's been that way for every generation, but we certainly need moral clarity. And where do we find it? We find it in the Word of God. So I, uh, I invite you to join me uh, every day for this uh, daily devotional, this journey through the Bible. You can go to frc.org slash Bible or, uh, well, just check it out. There's lots of resources there for you. And by the way, this need for clarity coming from Scripture is why a few years ago we launched our Center for Biblical Worldview. Now, this is to help pastors and even elected leaders, along with Christian citizens, to understand the issues and our responsibilities, 
not according to what a political party may say or, or a movement, but according to the Word of God. You know, today is, uh, is Martin Luther King Day. Uh, we celebrate uh, his uh, his birthday, and I would I would tell you um, he, 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 he has a, I'm just going to read this quote from him that you know, his role as a pastor I mean he he stepped into the public square and and really helped bring about significant cultural changes, but he did it from the pulpit. He said this, he said, the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state and never its tool. And he went on to say, we have to, we have to regain our prophetic voice. And so that's a part of what we're doing at our Center for Biblical Worldview is to equip pastors not to, uh, you know, pontificate about a political party or even political candidates, and they're free to do that if they want, but we just want them to rightfully apply the Word of God to the issues of our day. Joining me now to talk more about this, David Clawson, who is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, great to be with you, Tony, especially as we start the 2024 election. Well, that's right. It begins in earnest <laughs> tonight with the Iowa caucuses taking place. Um, and Christians, we were just talking about this with Chad Conley, how they have the ability to, to model what faithful politics looks like by asking the right questions and then putting that into practice in how they vote. And it'd be nice if it were clean cut and you had, you know, uh, you know, candidate A, candidate B, and they were, it was a clear contrast between the two. And the personalities were perfect. Uh, it's not the case. We just don't live in that perfect world. Oftentimes, we're having to really dig down and do some deep analysis to determine how we vote. No, it's true, Tony. We have to do kind of what I call political triage almost, uh, that we have to look at the issues, we have to look at the candidates, we have to look at the party platforms. All of this really matters. But I think to kind of begin uh, thinking about this, there's two principles uh, that I've been sharing. I got back a couple of weeks ago, Tony, from Romania, uh, got to speak to a Christian political party. They actually have a Christian political yeah. party over there, uh, like they do in some other countries. And really two principles, I think all Christians, especially as we start this new presidential election cycle, um, are number one, stewardship. You know, I think a lot of Christians are used to thinking about stewardship as we want to be good stewards of our time and our tithe and our resources. But for those of us who live in a constitutional republic, I think we should think about our stewardship in, in terms of voting, voting as a, a matter of stewardship. Because when you and I go into that voting booth or we go to that caucus, uh, what are we doing? In one sense, we're delegating our sword uh, to someone else to wield it on our behalf. Um, Federalist Papers uh, said, you know, the, the locus of the citizen, uh, citizen the, the authority is in the citizen. And so when you and I vote, we are electing someone to wield that sword of justice on our behalf. So stewardship is that first principle. But then the second principle is love of neighbor. Uh, you know, Jesus in Mark chapter 12, uh, just a couple of days before his betrayal and his crucifixion, uh, was asked, you know, what's the first commandment? Let's well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what's the second great commandment? It's love your neighbor as yourself. 
And, and can you and I, as those who live in a constitutional republic, say that we truly love our neighbor in a holistic sense if we don't care about government? Uh, which, again, I'm a small C conservative. I want government to be small. Uh, but let's be real. Government has its tentacles uh, that affects our, all of our basic rights and liberties. So can I say I love my neighbor in a comprehensive, holistic sense if I'm not engaging this process, which affects my neighbor? Well, okay, let me stop you there, because th this is where you would have even division among uh, Christians yep. about loving your neighbor. You have to start with defining the terms. That's true. Um, because for some, loving your neighbor is, you know, making sure that we keep all these social justice uh, programs f flooded with government money and we're, you know, we're doing, you know, all these government giveaways. I mean, that's, t to them, that's love. No, th that's true. And I think that's where we need to go back to defining our terms. And, and Jesus actually, in the parable, the Good Samaritan defines what he means by neighbor, and it means all people. But kind of there is a a principle in Scripture that you start with the what's most close. You start with your family, you start with your church, you start with your local community. Then it's kind of like concentric right. circles that then goes to the nation state. Uh, you started the program with uh, the clip of Kamala Harris, you know, uh, and uh, the issue of immigration and open borders. That's a huge issue that I think this term of neighbor love is actually misapplied. But let, let me just let me go back to that clip. Let's play that clip that uh, we played to start the show of uh, Kamala Harris today in South Carolina. At this moment in America, freedom is under profound threat. Today, in fact, we are witnessing a full-on attack on hard-fought, hard-won freedoms. Okay, so there again, we have to define terms. And this is where, you know, Christians need to, Bible-believing Christians, I'm not going to use the term Christian because that's, that's, an elastic term. <laughs> Those who follow Christ need to be discerning. When she's talking about freedom there, she's talking about the ability to kill your baby. Right. She's talking about abortion, that that's a freedom that's under attack. So a as Christians, number one, we've got to know what the words actually mean, and that's becoming more and more challenging uh, in our society where people throw around things like, you know, that, that, making those speeches, calling the inability to kill your own child a restriction on your freedom. No, that, that's right, Tony. And that's where I think we need to go back to our political triage. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's important to look, you know, the iVoter guide that has been out that we've promoted, it shows who's, you know, given money to a campaign. It shows the party platforms and it shows a lot of helpful information. But I think for a, a, as a Bible-believing Christian, I want to know where the candidates stand on issues that the Bible speaks directly to. Now, I believe, Tony, and I know you do too, that the Bible speaks to a whole host of issues. Right. Uh, there are biblical principles that you can apply to almost any issue, economy, foreign wars, uh, immigration, etc. But there are some issues where there, I like to say, there's a thus saith the Lord. Right. That there's a chapter and verse. We don't need to guess God's opinion right. or preference on an issue, because guess what? He's revealed it to us in his word. And the issue of human life, uh, there's no question where God stands on that issue. We have verses in our Bible like Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16. We have verses um, like Luke chapter 1 verses 39 through 45, the famous passage where Elizabeth and Mary, while both pregnant, have that wonderful conversation where Elizabeth dresses Mary as the mother of my Lord, identifying a, a Mary as a mother at a time when uh, most women don't even know they're pregnant, and also identifying Jesus as her Lord when Jesus is just a couple weeks in utero. So again, I 
uh, as the election season officially gets underway, Tony, that issue of human life, we're just a couple days from the March for Life, second one in a post-Roe world. I think every Christian, every Bible-believing Christian needs to know exactly what God's Word says on the life issue and realize how that translates into the political process. So I was talking with, with Chad Conley about this, that, you know, the media wants to uh, just say, well, you know, the only thing they care about is abortion uh, or same-sex marriage, and that's it. There are, as you pointed out, there are things that this Bible speaks to very clearly, and, and those are not an issue of preference. They're not even principles. They're proclamations. So really, you have these three, I, I, I call them a three-tiered. You have proclamations. Those are the things that the Lord says, as you said, less, thus says the Lord. They're very clear. Then you have biblical principles. That's how we, we, we then have to take the principles of Scripture and apply them to the issues that it doesn't speak to directly. And then we have preferences. Yep. Uh, and, and I think there are many issues that we deal with today that are preferences. And, and I think on those, we need to give each other a lot of grace uh, on, on those issues. Um, but we need to prioritize. The proclamations come first, the principles second, and the preferences third. No, I agree with that 100%. And I think... Um, when you know the election cycle gets going, and some of us, especially someone like myself who just loves politics, I love election season, I love campaigns. You know, we can get fired up about a lot of different things. Uh, but I think that triage, Tony, is really helpful um, because we want to, at the end of the day, keep the main thing the main right. thing. And Christians of good character can be charitable in some of these discussions. But again, if God has spoken on an issue, that's where we need to make sure that we're standing with God. So, so we have to do all of this. We've got to be discerning. We've got to apply God's word. So we need to be listening to the right people. And, yes. and folks, I'm, I'm just going to I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say you need to be tuned in to programs like Washington Watch because we're going to bring you the newsmakers. We're going to talk about these things from a biblical perspective. The last place you need to go is legacy media. In fact, because in the midst of this, they're trying to denigrate, to marginalize, discourage, and suppress Christian vote with terms like Christian nationalism. Absolutely, Tony. We've really seen that term over the last couple of years, especially since the January 6, 2021 attack. Which, oh. by the way, I wrote a piece, uh, you can see it at, uh, at, at Washington Stand. According to the left, there was no violence in the world until January the 6th. <laughs> That's the only—they track everything from January the 6th forward. They forgot completely. Amnesia hit them about what happened in the summer of 2020. That's true. You would think, reading some of the news reports, that this was the worst thing that ever happened, forgetting about well, Pearl Harbor. Thing. It's the only thing. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. But but it is true, kind of the, the old language of the Christian right or the, the religious right, that's been replaced, Tony, by this term Christian nationalism. And it's spoken and it's written about. There's probably six or seven books in the last six months that have right. come out about white Christian yeah. nationalism uh, that really, I think, they're simply just trying to do something that other generations that people have tried to do. They would have is, a hard time at the church I was at uh, Friday <laughs> night with Bishop Matthews. Uh, in fact, he brought this up that, you know, they talk about white Christians. I was the only white guy in the, uh, in the audience, in the, right. in the place. But it's a convenient cudgel to try to drive conservative Christians right. from the public square. Right. And I think we need to recognize that's what they're doing. Um, but, but we're going to run out of time here. But you just wrote a piece that was published today that addresses issues, because there are, there are some elements of this that are out there yes. that we need to be watchful for and, I would say, wary of. 
Yeah, I agree with that, Tony. And kind of in the piece, I specifically talk about a viral video that's been kind of making the rounds on X and uh, Truth Social and other places called God Made Trump. Uh, it's a video that uh, uh, it was an outside. The Trump campaign didn't produce it, but they've been giving it a lot of airtime at different campaign events where I think they really do conflate American and Christian identities. They quote a lot of scripture that really in the Bible and context applies to the Lord, right. but then they apply it to the uh, to the former president. Where we see that happening, I think we do as thoughtful Christians uh, that take our cues from the Bible, not a political party, we do need to call that out. Right. But the media that wants to call people out on those, either it's, it's all or nothing. I mean, we can say this is inappropriate. Yes. And I think this video is inappropriate. As you said, the campaign didn't do it, but they've kind of embraced it. I, I don't like it. Um, but that doesn't mean I don't like what Donald Trump did as president of the United States and the fact that I think he did more for the values we care about than any president I've seen in my lifetime. So I can still do both. I can reject yes. this example of what I think crosses the line and is inappropriate, but at the same time have a great appreciation for what his administration did. Oh, and that's exactly where I fall, Tony. I am so grateful for the, the president's accomplishments on the life issue, on religious liberty, and on family. Uh, but I think it was a miscue uh, right. to play this video at rallies because it, it doesn't help uh, help us think well about the issues, about the personalities, and about the campaign. Well, and I and this has been a couple of years back, but this whole thing when we had that "Let's Go Brandon" thing, I, you know, I, I call that as well. I just, there are things that ought, we ought not be a part of, and I do not think they're honoring to God. And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God, and that includes our political engagement. Yes. It should be done in such a way that it honors God and recognizes his sovereignty over our lives, and yes, over this nation as well. Tony, Ephesians 4.15, uh, as Christians, we speak the truth in love. So we speak the truth, we engage passionately, but we should be known. We're salt and light as Christians, and so there should be a winsomeness and a helpfulness and a clarity about us as Christians. Yes, and we should never become the tool of a political party. Right. We need to be a prophetic voice. David, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, thank you for joining me as well. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.